We're going to learn with thanksgiving from a different perspective. And I'm here to tell you that Psalm 119, I believe, is a full book with hundreds and hundreds of verses about how David just loved the Word of God. He just loved, King David loved the Word of God. So we're going to read Psalm 119, verses 127 to 136, and see where the Lord leads us. And uh, very thankful that we could be here together this morning to hear the Word of the Lord. In Psalm 119, 127, we read, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth, and I panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine down upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down my eyes, because they keep not thy law. And I could sum this all up, if you want to put it in a thanksgiving perspective, is there is not one hint of any of this that shows that David was ungrateful for what the Lord had done with him in his life. He's writing this later on in his life. There are verses to prove that. He actually says his, his face is like a water bottle. It, it's like a water, uh, it's like a, a, like a water, like a skin. They use leather skins. And when you study that, you understand that when it says his face was like that, that means it, it's wrinkled, it's old. And he was writing this in his old age, and he was showing thanksgiving to the Lord, and there's nothing here that shows any ingratitude. And you don't always, when you're, all, when you're going through Scripture and you're studying a specific topic, and it could be from a, from a catch word, you don't always have to go into the concordance and just pick that word and take that word and just take the verses that have that word. There are many other words that revolve around that topic, and you can go in and you can derive them from things that the Lord has laid on your heart. And I believe this is a wonderful passage of thanksgiving because of the honor that David gives the Lord for his word. We see back in verses 127 and 128, what a beautiful benediction to the small section of Psalm 119. He says, I love thy commandments. I esteem all thy precepts. I hate every false way. David loved the word of God better than he loved his money. He considered it above gold, above the finest gold, and he had plenty of it. There's no doubt from the sieges of wealth of nations over that how many wicked and false nations love money and they love to take from others. But David loved and honored what the Lord gave him. And he is, he is actually mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 and considered one of the pilgrims, a stranger in a strange land. He loved God's commandments, and he had many words for the God's commandments. He called them his precepts, his testimonies. He called it Scripture. David loved his commandments. He esteemed them to be perfect, righteous, reasonable, merciful, and just, that no fault can be found in them, as he mentioned many times. And we must love them because they are the epitome of his perfect image. His word, God's word, is the epitome. It's a perfect, perfect picture of his image. And if we say we want Jesus and we want to sit him out, we just love to sit out on a park bench with him and talk to him, well, you can. 
This is his image right here, his word. David hated every false way. How many, how many false ways are right before our eyes right now? We've seen in the elections, phony balloting. We've seen violence in the street, wicked politics. We've seen all the trimmings. And what false ways David hated them because he was thankful for God's word. And that was his standard and it got him through the hardest times. And we could stand here for a very long time and talk about the hardships that King David went through from the time that he took that slingshot and he whacked Goliath in the head with, with that stone to what happened with his brothers, to what happened with Saul, what happened with Absalom, and then what happened, that horrible moment with Bathsheba. All through it, he never turned his back on the Lord. He hated every false way. He knows that Satan is very wicked, very vengeful. David's righteous anger was a standard by which he would not bend. If I think of David, I think of a sermon that I heard. Most sermons that I hear I love, but there was one that I did not love. And there was a sermon about David's imprecations, his, his prayers of imprecations, and his attitude towards those that hated the Lord. This one pastor had said that basically all that was was a record of David's wickedness. And I didn't ever believe that. I believed that I loved the strength that David had and that he had in his heart a fight in him, a righteous anger against those that hated the Lord. I think that's important because I've seen too many in my lifetime that cater to what these things are going on in, in government, in the White House, and they become insensitive to it. And instead of calling it out for what it is, they try to dumb it down and they make it look like it's something pretty when it's not. We need to be very careful with that. We need to be solid in our commitment to God's laws and never compromise on them. He will never flee from us. He will never turn His back on us. I believe that's why we can stand here confidently in the common thread that we've had through all of our trials and our, and our testimonials this morning is that God is in the midst of all of them. The same God. We, all don't, we don't worship separate little gods. We don't have one little God over here and one little God over here and one over here. Well, this one worships Confucius. This one worships the Queen. This one worships Pharaoh. This one, we all believe in the God of gods who we read in Psalm 136, His mercy endureth forever. Psalm Proverbs 28 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. For the transgression of the land, many are the princes thereof. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. That is our God. He prolongs us. What was the symbol that God used in the Old Testament that was carried with God's divine oracles and other implements? He used the Ark of the Covenant. What was the other name used for that it was profound? It was called His Testimonies. His testimonies are sure. We see in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. What was in the ark? We see in Hebrews chapter 9, 4, And the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. What was his testimony? It's what he gives us today. God's testimony is our testimony. And it's proof that he loves us, and it's a revelation of his will. Let me bring this to our attention, because David, throughout, all throughout Psalm 119, thanked the Lord. He spoke of the ark, he spoke of the scriptures, he spoke of his testimonies, and we have spoken many times, several months ago, about the apologetics. We spoke from, we were talking about canonization of Scripture, 
and we see how what an outline of study of apologetics that exposes when you're talking about apologetics, we're not talking about apologizing for our faith, but we're talking about defending what we believe, the testimonies of God, the Word of God. This is what David speaks about. And we see today that we're so filled with rationalism, empiricism, scripturalism, and irrationalisms. There's so many isms, and that's very dangerous. All throughout the ministry of Christ, he did not use philosophy. He used his word. The word is God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning, and all things were created by him, John 1, 1 and 2. He used the holy inspired word, and David makes it our responsibility to see that we stand by them, and we must live God's testimony. God's, David goes on to say that his testimonies are wonderful. He doesn't say they're not understandable. He doesn't say they're abstract. He doesn't say that it takes 12 years to learn. He says simply they're wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. I think that's a good reason. Don't we like to talk about things in our lives that are wonderful? Wonderful things in our lives. Don't you like to talk about them and encourage others with that? And they tell you the things that are wonderful to them. Isn't that a great encouragement? Well, the things that he thought were wonderful. He says, my soul doth keep them. He doesn't just say that I act them out. Um, he, he says they are in his soul. He does not say only that they are in his mind for historical significance, but they have reached his soul and his soul keeps them. He's thankful for the word of God. He goes back to all the deaths in his life and the trials, the tribulations. You think you have trials. I know I have trials. You do, and I don't ever belittle them at all. But when you take what you know and you read about David and see what he went through, just because he didn't have a cell phone and he didn't have Twitter and he didn't have all those things and it seems like an ancient thing, take all that out. He was a human being just like us. He had a mind. He had eyes. He had hands. He had feet. He had problems. He had depression. He suffered. But he went to the precepts of the Lord. We see that the entrance of the God's word giveth light. We see three applications here. They giveth light because God is the light of life through creation. Number two, because to give understanding unto the new Christian, that is why that light is given and it gives us salvation. And that light is Christ. We see in Genesis chapter 1-2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. The earth was basically dead. The hearts of mankind are dead. I think that was a, that was a manipulative, a good lesson. That's what good teachers use, is, is like physical manipulatives to teach and to drive into the students a perfect application. Creation, showing the light of the world, the Holy Spirit moved over the face of the waters and God said there was light. What does the light do that's most important for us as Christians? It overcomes darkness. And who's the prince of darkness? John 8.12 says, I am the light of the world. Isaiah 40, 23, That bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal? 
Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their stars, host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might for that he is strong in power. Not one faileth. He gives us the light. He gives us the moon. He controls the tides, the stars. He gives us the sun. Look at the light that he gives us. And Christ is the light of the world. That's one of the wonderful I am statements. There's so many of them in the book of John. I am the light of the world. He gives understanding even to the new young Christian. What if the truth of salvation was some very hard algorithm, complete book of tort law, or a deep philosophical set of, set of rules in different languages that took years to study? Look at Ezra. and Look at what Ezra, as he was guiding Israel, what he says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. One reading. The Israelites, under, by the direction of Ezra, read the law of God and they understood it. So what do we have to have? Several different translations and several different ways of picking it apart. Now there's this thing out there in the news now that they've just found four lost books of the Bible. They're not lost. We have what we need right here. It's not complicated. David goes on to say, I opened my mouth and panted in the presence of the Lord. There is nothing but all. We see the word awesome is greatly misused today, but David uses it properly, and he speaks about the word of the Lord, which he was so thankful for. If we are in all the Lord, he will have, actually, he, if we are in all of them, people will be afraid of us. They will be afraid of our testimony when we give it to them. People come against them and we give the testimony of the Lord. It offends them. Some will come and they will love it. Others will be afraid of it and they will get angry. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 9, The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways, and all the people on earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. You think that the Scripture is not important and it's not powerful? God says that if you keep it in your heart and you use it as a sword and you use it as a protection and a defense, people will be afraid of you. They will be afraid of you, and I do believe that's why the martyrs, they went to, were wheeled down, like in London proper. One of the ones that stroked my heart, and they're all of them strike my heart, the one Pastor Olson was talking about, Savannah Rolla, that's a tough one. He was the pastor, and he was the one that guided Michelangelo. But it was Hugh Latimer, and, and, and Nicholas Ridley in London proper. And that was not supposed to happen. In fact, there was a reprieve, and they were supposed to actually be freed. And this wicked queen came in, and she said, take him right to the scaffold. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of Latimer and Ridley. They were afraid of them, and they were so afraid, all they wanted to do was burn them and kill them. And it was a slow death for Ridley. And Latimer yelled over to him, play the man. He encouraged him, and it was hard. But they were not going to compromise on Christ because they were thankful for what the, He had done for them. They were grateful for that. David says, I opened my mouth and I panted. He says, look thou unto me, be, look, look thou upon me and be merciful. David begs the Lord to show him favor with mercy. He asks God to look graciously upon him and consider his trials. He begs for help and to have God's face to shine down upon him. This is how we approach God, not demanding our felt needs, but begging for goodness. 
David says, please, Lord, look thou down upon me. He's the king, basically the king of the world at this time. He answers to no one, but he knew who to answer to. There was one. He answered to the Lord. He says to order my steps in verse 133. Even here, even even when you were a child, do you remember hearing from your parents, you better watch your step. You better, you better watch your step. And for many reasons, it could have been because when you were real little, you couldn't step very well. You were having a hard time walking. Your parents might have said that. But it really came up when you became a teenager when your parents said, you better watch your step and you better watch it because you're heading, you're heading into a buzzsaw. That's what my father always said. Or you're, you're heading down a tunnel and, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's an oncoming train. You know, you've ever heard that? Well, my grandfather always told me, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Stop using your head for a hat rack. That's the kind of, kind of things that, that I remember here. You better watch your step. Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both fall into the ditch. Watching one step is in a Christian. David wanted this. And it was a petition of the Lord. Order my steps in thy word. This is like a treasure mat. Watching every step to find buried treasure is in Scripture. But what happens when we walk by the world by our own sight and not by faith. And this is what Christ said, let the blind lead the blind so they'll fall into a ditch. That's what happens when you don't follow the Lord. David goes on to say, deliver me from the oppression of man. I'm going to try to go a little quicker here as I know it's time to go here soon. But deliver me from the oppression of man, slavery to sin, slavery to bow down to the whims of man. Look at what churches have become, bowing down to political correctness. David says in verse 134, deliver me from the oppression of man. He's a king. Why is he praying that? Because he knows that community conscience can destroy him. There were many that sought to destroy him and kill him over and over. Even his own son wanted to kill him. And he prays to the Lord, keep me on the straight and narrow. Deliver me from the oppression of man. Does this mean anything when you watch TV now from the oppression of man? Look at what's happening outside. Look how everything's going up in price. Look at these wicked, these elections. You know that these midterms were a joke for the most part. They're still dragging out a couple of them to see if they can steal a few more votes. The oppression of man is, is trying to eradicate Christ. That's what the oppression of man tries to do. Make thy face to shine upon me. The Lord thanks the Lord for the beauty and the Light of his face, he begs the Lord for his light, his favor and delight of the faithful servant who is hurting. David is hurting when he reads this. This is a wonderful benediction that we often hear in our services. In Numbers 6.25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Remember Moses' face was glowing. Remember Stephen's face was glowing when they were about to kill him. It glowed. He was about to be stoned to death. How do you glow when you're about to be stoned to death? You have the light of Christ in you, and you can't put it out. They can't put it out. Stephen was thankful to the Lord. Matthew 17, 1. Moses finally got to see the promised land. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. The eye is an inlet of great sin. David goes on to verse 136, and he says, Rivers of waters run down my eyes because they keep not thy law. He loved the Lord so much and he thanked him so much that he, he had tears in his eyes of those that didn't keep his law. He had pitied them. He didn't, he didn't act 
crazy. At one point in his life, he did. But at this point, he has tears in his eyes for those that don't obey his law. And I believe he was thinking of his own immediate family. He had tears in his eyes for those around him that did not obey. And look, what, look in his eyes. The, eyes are an, the, the, the eye is an inlet of great sin. And David asked the Lord, he begged them. He begged him to keep his eyes clean. And he, and he cried when he saw those that were absolutely going against him, against the Lord. David's sins bothered him, and those around him that were sinning crushed him. You see someone going down the same path. Karen's testimony. Look at what she's gone through and the, and the testimony that she's kept with her kids and her family. The Lord will give her comfort. He promises He will. I'll never forget Psalm 6. I don't have it written here. I am weary with my groanings. All the night do I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. How long, O Lord? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord shall hear the voice of my supplications. The Lord shall receive my prayer. The Lord shall hear the voice of my weeping. This is what David said. Well, to finish, David was a pilgrim. He was a king. He was a poet. He was many things, but one thing you don't hear about him is that he was a pilgrim. He was a stranger in a strange land because he believed in Jesus Christ. We go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, and it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. I don't read here where it says they sought Egypt, or they sought America, or they sought Venezuela. They sought a country, like Pilgrim. Remember Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to read a little quote from that as we finish here. They sought a country, verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. This is in heavenly this is in heaven, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. So the next time you're at a funeral, don't say that person's in a better place. Say that they've gone to a better country. That's in Scripture. Oh, they're in a better place, are they? Well, here we see, now they desire a better country. What is a pilgrim? David was. We are called Pilgrim Presbyterian Bible Church. Pilgrim, not just the historical name not just a claim to a new arrival to Plymouth, Massachusetts, and strangers in a strange land here in America, but is a biblical word and one that greatly described those that are listed in the Hall of Faith. And we just saw that word pilgrim. In the Middle English, from Anglo-French, it's pronounced palerin, palegrin, from late Latin, palegrinus, one who journeys into foreign lands. You all ever hear that old Baptist song? I think it's a Baptist song. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Remember that? That's, that's what this is about. Remember the old Western movies, and John Wayne would always say, Whoa, take her easy there, pilgrim. He used that word a lot. Think of William Bradford out on that picture, out there, and, that, and I had a lot more stuff about that, but I, you know, we, got, that's too, we don't have much time. But William Bradford was there. Pilgrims that came over to this land with the gospel of Jesus Christ on their heart about William Bradford. William and Dorothy Bradford left their three-year-old son with their parents in Amsterdam and boarded the Speedwell in 1620. 
before transferring across to the Mayflower when the Speedwell was deemed unseaworthy. After surviving the treacherous transatlantic crossing, Bradford was one of the 41 true pilgrims who signed the Mayflower Compact. Shortly afterwards, though, he suffered terrible personal tragedy, tragedy while the Mayflower was anchored of, off Provincetown Harbor. The pilgrims sent out several men to explore the regions to seek out the best place to build their colony. Less than a month later, while her husband was ashore exploring, Dorothy accidentally drowned in the freezing waters of the harbor after falling from the Mayflower. Talk about one that would be definitely questioning his faith. After overcoming illness himself and the death of first governor John Carver, Bradford was elected to lead the Plymouth Colony and was subsequently re-elected 31 times before his death, missing only five years. In 1623, he remarried and... Here's the Mayflower Compact. I'd like to read this, and then we'll finish here in a minute. William Bradford wrote, In the name of God, amen. We whose names are unwritten, underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of England, France and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, have undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these presents solemnly and mutually in presence of God and one of another covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience, in witness whereof we have hereunto subscribed our names at Cape Cod the 11th of November, in the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France and Ireland the 18th, and of Scotland the 54th, Anno Domini 1620. All the whole constitution was based on Christ. Hebrews 11 lists some of the pilgrims in Scripture that come to the forefront of faith and obedience. And they too were strangers in a strange land. As Peter said wonderfully, apostle and elder Peter says in Peter chapter, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of God's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Here's a quote from, from Valiant, uh, the character in, in the allegory from John Bunyan. Actually, it's amazing that Queen Elizabeth had given this excerpt, gave this quote in her Christmas speech in 1957. And listen to this. The Pilgrim's Progress. Though with great difficulty I am got hither, yet now I do not repent me of all the trouble I have been at to arrive where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage, and my courage and skill to him that can get it. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought the, his battle, who now will be my rewarder. You have a rewarder. Stay the, stay the fight, be a pilgrim. Continue to do the Lord's work. And we see here how David loved the Lord. He was part of this pilgrimage, and he's in Hebrews 11. And we also can go back to Psalm 119, verses 54 to 57, as we close. 
Thy statues have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for these words that thou hast given to us this morning, and I pray that they would penetrate our hearts and into our souls. Pray that, Lord, that our hearts would be open, Lord, to hear thy word always and to give a testimony. Thank thee for every testimonial here this morning and the blessings and the scripture and the weights that are upon those hearts that are here. And I pray, Lord, that thou wouldst answer every one of them quickly and give comfort to many burdens that are here. Thank thee for our family. Thank thee for our church family. Thank thee for our pastors, the staff that we have that helps us and keeps this church going and all the people that work so hard here. Lord, bless us and give us a good week. And we thank thee, Lord, that we could have Thanksgiving again not just this past Thursday, but this morning. And we pray that thou wilt just bless us and keep us from falling. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.